0: Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV Because it's great we're lucky they make so many fan programs to see. You're also like Kate to like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, the less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week?
1: Uh, it's it's going okay. I, I I fell down on my TV watching responsibilities this week, Kate. I, I I did not watch any of Terrace House Part Three, which dropped on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I haven't watched any of it yet. And I'm like seriously like just war rocking back and forth on my couch while I watch a number of other things instead. <laughs> going, but I need I need this twenty something relationship drama. Half subtitled, half in English. I, I just need it, and I haven't watched any of it. And I also haven't watched any of the Ranch. And that dropped part three of that dropped today. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch any of that. And you know, I actually like the Ranch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I just I slacked off this week. I apologize. Oh
0: yes, yes. Well, shame on you, Noel. Shame, shame. So yeah. so, so much shame on you, the one who has been with the slacking. Not I. Yeah. I just am going <laughs> to let you monologue about the weekend genre and drama. Because I'm building suspense on my right. thoughts on the TV. Right.
1: Uh, it's, it's all sort of like a season long structure thing that we're doing. Like abso- a big arc.
0: Absolutely. And yeah. any, you know, similarities to the effectiveness of this arc with, for shall we say Angie Tribeca season two should be completely nor- ignored or celebrated because it's intentional. Those are the options. Uh, listeners, this is my very roundabout way of saying, once again, I've watched very little TV this week. Um, and uh, due to, due to life, but I am hopeful that I will be able to catch up. And I actually should have a day off next week. Woo! one i think i have one day off next week so i should hopefully be able to actually watch and
1: stuff <laughs> but um also well, it's it's too bad that like television got canceled this week and you yeah. don't have anything to watch next there's week. there's nothing there's nothing to catch yeah. up on and nothing to watch <laughs>
0: um but uh yeah there's there's some other tv i wanted to try to catch up with like so you think you can dance came back for like a regular version of the show which oh uh... good yeah, I, I might check out this week now that um well, Drag Race isn't technically going on hiatus. It's just it's the reunion show that I don't care about. So Yeah. Yeah. Um and we got a couple of finales this week, but mostly I just I I want to watch more of the stuff that you're gonna be talking about, that I want to be talking about, and that I will be talking about next week. So so rather than talk around in circles I think we should just dive in. That's what I'm our...
1: going to do later.
0: <laughs> I will ask me. I will be asking you some very uh, thoughtful and insightful questions. I just don't know what they are yet, but I I will, okay. Noel. Um, uh, so so stay tuned, listeners. This week at the end of the show, we're talking about a National Geographic documentary, "Hell on Earth: The Fall of Syria and the Rise of ISIS," that we watched, uh, which was very interesting. And the first thing I've seen from National Geographic. Have you seen any other of their their like non nature documentary things?
1: Uh, a few but like this is This is a special case in which like this is a film That got trotted around film festivals As well but they were one of the They were one of the main producers on it mm-hmm. Which I don't think they've done a lot Of so this I think Is kind of a big deal for them
0: Yeah so we'll be talking about that at the end of the of the Episode but first let's just go right in We'll dive right in with our week in comedy and reality So let's listen to a little music and we'll be right back After this yeah, please,
1: please, What category are we all right now? What category are we- are we all right now? What, 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 what category? Bring it. Category is select kool Look at the
2: edges I snatched today. I see you watching how I sashay. And the other girls, best get out of my way. Because I wanted to get it and get my finger and did it. And girl, I'm ready to show them how these bitches are on them. Got that supermodel switch. This kool she a real, real bad bitch. Uh, let me rock this mic. Leave them in my dress like Tina did. I'm no, and real fierce too. Chicago in the house, girl, what you gonna do?
1: Shut it down I'm a mama boo Bring the queen her crown I approve this message And all I'm gonna say Is I'm Jake Kool-Aid And I always Sing it to the one-
0: This week in comedy and reality, we're going to talk a bit about the Angie Tribeca finale. Go get him, Tiger. Tiger. Um, then Noel's going to talk the Bob's Burgers finale into the mild. Yes, very strange. You would have thought their finale was the big finale Palooza parade episode. But no, more on this in a moment. Then I'll talk a bit about Veep, Judge. Uh, we'll both have a few thoughts on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver this week. And then the Carmichael Show, Lesbian Wedding. And we'll round things out with our week in comedy reality. With, of course, Drag Race, uh, their penultimate episode, not counting the reunion uh, category is So first off though is Andy Tribeca And what <laughs> did you think Noel of the reveal uh, That we had this week For Andy Tribeca that the entire season Has been uh, Just a, a very Intricate way to do A lieutenant's exam 15 years in the making
1: I, I, I was both uh, Just uh, horrified And amused And like it it just it tickled me. I I was I was I I really really enjoyed it, and even if I even and I appreciated the fact that even Giles went, but there were scenes of other people doing investigations without me, and them going. It's don't think too hard about it. You're overthinking like, like you always. You're, <laughs> right. And I kind of like that because in a lot of ways it seemed like a response, slight response um, to season two, some of the criticism of season two. And they are just like, guys, stop overthinking our show, please. Just stop it. <laughs> and But I, I appreciated the jokes about it. I appreciated that we got the second second best Chris to come in uh-huh. and come back, which I was honestly not expecting him to come back as we had discussed. Yeah. So I was glad he came back. And, and no, I just really enjoyed how it all kind of coalesced into i was in fact just marrying my cousin mm-hmm. and but we went out you guys had dates no nope, no nope, just part of the ruse and yep. it's just like this is really good how did you feel about it then? oh
0: uh, i thought it was so stupid and so hilarious like exactly <laughs> the right amount of stupid yeah at the right time like
2: mm-hmm.
0: i loved it I, th- I thought it was so fun and because the, the entire because they the you know bulk of the finale plays it totally straight like it's just the way you'd yeah. expect. I loved the excuse they found to bring back Chris Pine and that character who I, it was the right amount, the right dose of him too. Yeah. They used him very well, that character very well. And then like, again, to have everything just kind of turn and just release all the potential baggage and things to remember for the next season. Um, And just be like, no, it was all a ruse. Pay no attention. I just thought that was terrific. Uh, what about, do you think we're, the, the the ending and are we going to have this be immediately written off at the start of the next season or is this going to be the next season long arc? What do you think?
1: I really want it to be the next season long arc in part because I just want them to go through a series of people who are actually Angie Tribeca. Mm-hmm. And I just want to see the various guest stars that they bring on who they think are the actual Angie Tribeca. Yeah. And I think that would just be hilarious. But, no, I really hope that they follow through with that ending of, well, we have reason to believe that this isn't actually Angie Tribeca. And i just like, oh, gasp. yeah, So, no, I really hope that they like, follow through on that and they don't ditch it because I think it's a really good idea.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, super fun. And it has a lot of potential. If they want to milk it, if they come up with yeah. ideas, they can. And if they don't, then just immediately get rid of it and start something else if they have a better idea they'll it's the kind of thing that they can easily just walk away from um <laughs> see our discussion later in the podcast of winona erp um anyways uh let's move on to our next episode this week in comedy reality and that's the bob's burgers finale into the mild when i had to like pick prioritize things to watch i was like should i watch the bob's burgers finale and i and I said, like, kate Let's be honest, this isn't a real finale. This is just an extra episode they had lying around. You should watch the Angie Tribeca finale. I don't regret doing that so far. Should I regret doing that? What, what What's the deal with Into the Mild, Noel?
1: Right, so Into the Mild is fun. In, uh, in that uh, Bob decides he wants to be a wilderness guy.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: there's a big sale at like a Dick's Sporting Goods or a Bass Pro Shop or whatever. And they're going out of business. So he's just like, yeah, I've always wanted to be like an outdoors guy. And he goes and he inadvertently bonds with an overenthusiastic sales associate and falls asleep in the store in one of the tents. Mm -hmm. And they have to escape because the store is closed for the next week. (laughs) And so there's some good bits about them trying to, like, figure out ways to get out and all that sort of stuff. But it doesn't feel very Mm finale-like. Because, like, the parade thing was very finale. And it was very much about, like, the best thing about Bob's Burgers is when, like, the entire town and that community kind of, like, comes together for something. And that's what that parade episode really was. And that's always when I like what Bob's Burgers does is when that community just kind of comes together over something. And so this just felt like, like you said, just very much like an extra episode, like a little bit of something to be like, oh, right, we didn't air this episode because we were really weird about when we aired this. So here's an extra episode, everyone. And it was just like, oh, well, I'm not going to say no to an extra episode, but I also was just like, but that, that was the finale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, no, it's fine. You made the right decision, I think, watching the Andrew Tribeca um, finale as opposed to the Bob's Burgers finale. Um, but, and the Gail, Gail comes to perform her one woman show that centers around a Delta Burke, uh, meeting, uh, which may not have happened. And I won't spoil it for you whether or not it had or had not actually happened. Uh, but that brings some tension between her and Linda and it's, it's fine tension, but the crux of the episode is Bob trying to tap into his inner outdoorsman and it's, it's good, but, uh, nothing, nothing. Totally essential.
0: Fair enough. Um that reminds me talking about Gail's One Woman Show that I did also watch uh, Chris Gethard's show on which is, is out as sort of as a comedy special on HBO, mm-hmm. but it's not a comedy special. Um it it's his one man show, uh, Career Suicide. And uh, like the way that it's paced and structured and it's very much storytelling and it's not paused for for laughter kind of thing, but it's terrific. It's really good. Um, it talking about his lifelong relationship with, uh, depression and and suicidal tendencies and that kind of thing. So on a cheery note, it's also very funny and it's, it's also very insightful. Um, people should check that out on HBO, but also on HBO this week, I watched Veep judge. And I wanted to mention this one because I was watching this episode, and it, it, the, the the setup for this episode, Noel, is that Gary, who's the Tony Hale character, um, he had a heart attack right after <laughs> Selena had a heart attack because he had a heart attack upon discovering that she had had a heart attack, um, a very small one. And um, So,
1: wait, is that like four heart attacks?
0: It, at least. At least emotionally, okay. it feels like it. Um, but when they were both in the hospital... He invited her to his 40th birthday party back home, and she had felt compelled to say yes. Sure. <laughs> so, so this episode is going back to Gary's home to, and, and meeting his parents and seeing where he comes from and, and all this stuff. Um, and uh, do you have any guesses on who's playing Tony Hale's parents?
1: No, I do not, but I'm very eager for you to tell me who it is.
0: Okay, Gene Smart is his mom.
1: Okay. And, She's everywhere, so okay.
0: Yep, and mm-hmm. Stephen Root is his father, the judge. Okay. And Okay. Terrific, right? Both right. excellent people to have on. Also in this episode um are just another like four or five oh, people like Toby Huss shows up as uh, okay. like a oil tycoon guy or whatever that Selena's trying sure. to get some money from. Um um the character the um her Selena's Boyfriend ish kind of character is back, um, who broke up with her because she's white, and then his father died, so now he can they can date again. <laughs>
2: okay,
0: uh, I think I want to say he's an ambassador, um, uh, Ambassador Jafar. Uh, I could be wrong on that, I think that's what it is. I think that's the character's name. Um, and there were then also, uh, the there's been a character that's been in Dan's storyline that was off and came back in this episode and there were like another two guest stars in this episode. So there's just so many guest stars in this episode that you couldn't, they're all very funny people. They're all very funny right. comedians and actors. Oh, um, um, Leon played by Brian Husky, uh, is, was back as well. Um, always terrific. But there's so many components, there's so many people and and like the actual cast itself is huge, and then you add in like right. another two or three interesting characters for each of them to interact with It's too many you can't possibly yeah. you can't possibly deliver with that so it was frustrating to watch because I was seeing pieces of what could have been like uh like a certainly one of the best of the season, one of the best of the probably top ten top twenty of the run but needed more space to breathe. You needed to have a lot more focus to the episode and to really commit to one part of it. Um, We got some really terrific work from Tony Hale as Gary, but, and then some nice, some really great little moments, but it was just, it's been frustrating to watch this season of Veep. There's been a couple exceptions. There's been a couple terrific episodes, but on on the whole, it's little pieces of what, could be a very good episode or, you know, just like, it's just slightly off here and it's still, it's still entertaining, it's still fun. It's still a good episode of TV, but what Veep can do when it all comes together, when it's synced up, right, when it's firing all cylinders and the, the, the balance of the different characters is exactly what it needs. Like it can be amazing television. And so to watch it be just good with the, all these elements that it has Especially as someone who reviews it every week. And it's like, "What, what do you say? It's like, oh, it was only very funny. It just wasn't brilliant. Like, it wasn't amazing. I didn't fall off my couch laughing the way that I did a couple times last year. Literally. So, um... Yeah, it, it it's I've been it's been a little frustrating for me covering Veep this this year. I'm glad to have the opportunity to do it. Don't get me wrong, it's such an amazing right. show and such such talented people behind it. But I'm really I, I kind of there's only two episodes left, and I'm kind of feeling like let's get through this season. Let's let them have some more time off and see if they can recalibrate and get back to where they were in season five, with which is when the current showrunner took over over. They still need, they've got parts of it that are working really good, like Gangbusters. Timothy Simon's character's arc has been terrific all season. But in general, it's just, what do you say when you know this is a good version of a show that should be great?
1: Yeah. I mean, I run into that sometimes with shows, but you just kind of have to take things at their own merits. But it's really hard to do that when, especially when they've hit like really good highs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I feel for you.
0: <laughs> that's where I'm at with beep, and it's like I don't know. I don't expect that we'll see Gene Smart and Steven Root back again, which means that yeah. you know who knows when it'll make sense for those characters to return. I would like to see them come back because there's so much more they could do with them, but I don't really expect them to. And it and like they had June Diane Raphael earlier, like on earlier this season, she uh, got one scene. Yeah, she got maybe maybe two scenes, maybe three lines of dialogue. The entirety of the episode. Why do you bring in June Diane? Like I'm glad she's getting the money, but. Yeah. why if you're not going to use her
1: yeah that's weird <sighs>
0: yeah let, 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 let's move on let's let's talk a little lord buckethead uh because no sure uh, this week normally we usually watch last week tonight and full frontal B. like those are these are shows that often one or both of us has seen most weeks um but we rarely talk about them because it's a lot of you know it's a lot of times it's not that much to say it's like this is the kind of show that it is and it it continues to do that you know achieve what it's setting out to do pretty much the same as it has throughout its run but this week i felt like we needed to at least mention the ridiculousness mm-hmm. of lord buckethead um do you want to tell the listeners who who is lord buckethead
1: uh lord buckethead is a fellow who ran or a woman who ran i think it's a he though i think that i think i
0: think lord he. buckethead is is a he
1: uh who ran in Theresa May's um, call it, borough district. Um, I'm forgetting the proper nomenclature. So apologies to our British listeners or people who are really up on British politics. And one of the one of the things with British politics is that through each borough that you go to, each person is on stage with it, literally everyone else who got any votes, is, right? Yeah, who got any vote, which is something I'm familiar with, is having seen Black Outer mm-hmm. and someone losing to a head of cabbage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's just like, I'm aware of how all this functions. So I, I, I was not aware <laughs> that people follow through with some of this and just went, oh, I'm going to be Lord Buckethead. And I'm going to be a guy dressed up like, how did they describe it? Darth Vader had a love child with, oh, I don't remember. I don't remember, but it was good. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very solid. Yeah, he looks like a knight who says knee, but also Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And he he won enough votes that he got to be on stage, basically with the prime minister. And May is looking just eye rolly at the fact that she has to be on stage with this guy, plus another kind of kooky fellow. And it's delicious. Okay, he Elmo got three votes. Lord Buckethead got hundreds of votes. Right, That's, right. that's quite an the, accomplishment. Off brand Elmo, and so they had they they flew him over (laughs) from england they're just like we could have gotten an intern to do this but we actually flew the guy over (laughs) (laughs) and it's good it's a it's an it's one of those things that um the daily show would occasionally do um where you had these oddball candidates running for random jobs and you'd go interview them and just uh, look how crazy these guys are and Last Week Tonight's done some of this, too, with, like, they did that guy in Florida, I think, who had the gator firm? hmm And so you see this in American politics, but these people typically don't get to stand on stage with anyone of major significance. Yeah. So British par- br- br- the British electoral system, kind of amusing in this way. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, it was
0: certainly a... Uh... A very entertaining segment, and it and also very educational. Like we had talked about that a little bit on the show last week, like what happened in the UK election, yeah. um, and they did a really good job running it down, very clear, yes. um, some some effective and warranted. It seems at least based on their, their writing, uh, jabs at May and the uh, just what's going on over there right now. So um, yeah, check it out,
1: listeners. Also, can we can we just discuss the fact that my mind was blown by the fact that there are other segments? other than the main segment on last week tonight, because I didn't know this is someone who just watched the show on YouTube and all they do is post the main segment. Uh-huh. But now that I have HBO, I'm able to watch the entire episode. And I just yeah. went, oh, there's other stuff. Yes. Well, this is interesting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like the, the asking and repeating questions. Yes. What was it this oh, week? from 60
1: Minutes? Yeah. Uh, 60 Minutes was last week. That mm. one was hilarious. Um, I forget what it was this week, though. Yeah. The 60 minutes one stuck with me because I've noticed that in the past.
0: And now this, yeah, they're here. Yeah. And now this segments tend to be a lot of fun. Um, well, I'm glad that you're enjoying enjoying that and discovering that as well. Mm. No, that's, that's good times. What there's a I... whole
1: other show there?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is true. It is true. Um, next up is the Carmichael show, and this week the episode was going to be about guns and shootings, and for very obvious and tactful reasons, they switched it out, and instead we had lesbian wedding, which looked at. Um, you would think this would be a discussion of you know just the relationship in the black community with homosexuality and other people on the on the you know who identify as queer or LGBTQIA, just you know especially during pride month you think that it would be a discussion like, it. no it's mostly about beauty <laughs> beauty standards yeah. and the way we interact with and benefit from and are burdened by uh our this the american cultures uh, obsession with beauty and just i think the humanities sort of the stock we put in, in physical attractiveness. So uh, what did you think of lesbian? Wh- I mean, obviously it's not anywhere near the heavy hitter that euthanasia was <laughs> last right. week, which I caught up with. And you're right. It was terrific. Um, what, but what did you think of this one?
1: Uh, I thought it was funny. was mm-hmm. like the big thing that I can say about it is that it was a pretty funny episode. I enjoyed everything from the idea of cultural cachet and looking good on the Facebook mm-hmm. for going to a lesbian wedding. Uh, but the actual thrust of the episode about uh, dealing with Maxine's beauty and the fact that she has to lie about having perfectly straight teeth and saying that she's always had braces <laughs> um, because but her teeth are just naturally that great. Mm-hmm. And I, I just enjoyed how they sort of Maxine just kind of kind of had to come to grips with the fact that. She's benefited from this, but she can't escape it either. And yeah. I, I appreciated the fact that when she decided to go to the wedding and pick your favorite, you look like a joke that they did because mm-hmm. there were about five of them. and They were all very, very good. I think the apostle uh, was my favorite because I was like, yep. Yeah. Yup. <laughs> <laughs> I think the apostle one was, I, that. I think that one was the best one. Um... And so they just even like dressed down in basically what looked like a just a big burlap momo mumu I should say is just like no she's still an attractive person even and they even like had the actress basically do like minimal makeup which under multicam lighting is a bold choice. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so I really I really liked it and I I liked the approach that they took with it. Um even if we all kind of agree. Yeah, no, I just, I really liked it. And I liked the end of Gerard going, look, you you had a deliberating brain problem. Mm-hmm. Maybe one last time, yeah. but <laughs> then, we're, then we're out.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and it's just a really clever way to discuss privilege um, yeah. without discussing white privilege or male privilege, just to be like, Genetic you know beauty privilege yeah. and like and, and listening to her come like 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 her rant that she has was was I thought yeah. was really good, and the, the way that everything kind of came together worked really really yeah. nicely and um yeah I, I thought that uh, I loved the decision to have her show up at the wedding looking like air quotes crap at least for how you know she would view it or you're just trying not not trying to look bad but not trying to look good. And and the difference, you know, and still having everybody be like, yep, genetic lottery. (laughs) You're you're still gorgeous. (laughs) You know, I I thought that that was, you know, she just has a symmetrical face, which is something that our culture prizes. So there's nothing you can do about that. I thought that was such a better approach than having everybody, you know, like having her learn what it feels like for people to think that you're ugly or whatever. That would have felt so much more contrived.
1: Right. And also just not interesting either. Yeah. Uh, Especially for this show, which is traditionally takes really good angles on things. Mm -hmm. And this is a really good example, like you were saying, of how to discuss certain aspects of privilege in a way that we normally don't talk about or we talk about in really weird sort of ways of like making someone ugly or Mm -hmm. this idea of, to go back to our favorite movie right now, of going, oh yes, she's wearing a pair of glasses. That makes her not the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. (laughs) And so, yeah, no, i I like how they went about this, and just went, no there 's no hiding this Maxine. you just kind of have to accept it, yeah, yeah, and and just but if being... you had worn lipstick we ha- we would have gotten a thousand dollars. <laughs> I did
0: appreciate her just taking the money at the end. That was yeah, yeah. It was good.
1: Um, yeah. Let's move
0: on, though, then, I guess, to our... our I, I like the, the no-makeup-to-drag-race kind of, like, connection uh-huh. here. Let's move on to the, I guess, technically anti-penultimate, because it's a fun word to say, but really penultimate episode of Drag Race for Season 9, and that's Category Is. So this was our... We we're just a whittle from four to three um, and we, I think dun, we're both on the dun, same page dun. yeah we were like okay Peppermint it's been lovely but you know you're not going to be the final the final three how did you feel about the decision to go with the final four do you think that they earned it the, the queens but also the show with this episode
1: oh I think Peppermint had a really good week this week and yeah. I, I think her looks were really really good this week and her presence was really good so I, I understand like that idea of like no one seemed particularly bad this week, so it would have felt really weird to cut any of them, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I think overall the show had earned, like, keeping it. But it's also Rue's show. Rue can do whatever the hell she wants. Very true. Um Is is kind of how I approach it. It's just like, I'm not going to argue with her. And Duncan's certainly not going to argue with her. <laughs> um So I I was, I was, I was generally okay with it. Um, And a little bit of like a little bit of the cynic in me kind of went, well, we have a trans woman. You're not going to cut her. Mm -hmm. Are you? Are you going to do that for like a representational aspect of it? Like the message of it and the whole thing that this represents. Are you really going to do that here? And I've been being very cynical about that. But at the same time, I also just kind of went, but I can see you doing that and making that like a real net positive for the show, for Peppermint and for other people who are going through a transition, for other people who are struggling with the same sort of issue that Pepperman had discussed earlier in the season. And at the end of the day, like after, like I'd gotten over my slightly cynical approach to it, I just went, that's really good of the show to do. Provided that was the rationale, which I have no way of knowing. Uh, but I liked it. I liked just the entire idea that I've constructed and draped onto the show for this. <laughs> so, how did you feel about them doing a final four? Did you did you feel like someone needed to lip sync?
0: Well, I, I mean, mean, they all did technically, yeah, but right. and, and and there was some creative camera work there, I think, happening to cover yes. over some weaker lip syncing they could have cut someone just based on the lip sync if they had wanted to but Mm -hmm. I think based on everything else I mean I, I agree like there I think nobody gave them a reason to be cut yeah. Other than the lip sync, if you want to make that be the determining sure. factor, um, and so because of that, I don't think that these are necessarily the four best queens the show's ever seen. I don't think that they're all that amazing compared to the other finalists that we've had in previous seasons. But I think compared to each other, it's a very even playing field. And I think they, yes, mm-hmm. it was a bit cutesy and tidy that um, uh, Michelle went down the, you know, charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent down the, yeah. the for each each of them. But I do think that they highlighted the ways the different queens bring out various aspects of drag and different types of drag and different, like, priorities in in their drag. So I I thought that they did a good job of setting them up as fairly equal, at least on on this episode, in this episode, um, competitors and, you know, and, and because of that representational element, if Peppermint had given them a reason to be eliminated, then I and she hadn't been. It would have been more like mm, question mark. I don't know. Sure. I, I'm dubious. But she, I thought she really delivered. I thought they all delivered on the the stage show thing. I thought that was super fun. I know some people were unimpressed with it, but I I, I I was seeing that in some reviews. But I thought they actually it came together surprisingly very well, and and was was a lot of fun. And so so yeah, because nobody, you know, sometimes you're waiting for somebody to mess up, and nobody messed up. So I'm fine with them going to a final four.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it'll I I think your point about them representing different ideological approaches to drag is really important, and this is and we were we we'd been like talking a little bit about this f- throughout the season, especially in regards to Sasha and her particular approach it has been one that just typically hasn't fit with the shows overall approach and the challenges and everything and Sasha's managed to find a way to integrate her perspective with the show and has been very successful with it and i think that's and i think everyone else's fits the show generally a little better but there's been a high degree of respect and appreciation for how Sasha's never lost it and I think that that's really significant in that all these very different aspects of drags are being represented. And I'm really excited about that as someone who saw some of the other more experimental versions kind of fall to the wayside really quickly in a couple of the seasons that we watched last year. For the Make You Watch-A-Thon and going, well, that's really interesting. And then it's just like, you can't survive in this version of the show uh, because it doesn't fit. And Sasha managed to think a way out of it and resulted in a greater exposure for that. And I really liked how that also came through with them talking to their younger selves and then also, like, them talking a little bit, like, in Untucked, which I'm now watching regularly, <laughs> and how they're approaching each other and what they learn, basically. And I, I think that's really what this season has really proven so far, is that there's a lot to learn from different types of dragon. I really like that approach.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, like, the the talking to their, like, three- or four-year-old selves thing is always, like, so like hokey and manufactured, but it's still so effective. I don't care. I know. (laughs) I know how artificial it is. And I still like, and I think even the Queens do in the moment, they know what's coming. They've like prepared, but I think when you're actually up there and faced with that, I, I think most for most of them, and over the various seasons I went, I feel like what comes out is really genuine because it's a high stress situation. You're not getting a lot of sleep probably, and certainly you know you're you're running around like crazy. It's very you know very stressful, lots of adrenaline. So those emotions are going to be right on the surface anyways. So to yeah to have that all come out, it, it always leads to the most genuine, super artificial conversation. Right. In the show, I usually, and this was no exception, I really enjoyed that part of, of the, the last episode before the finale, at least of the competition cycle. So um, any
1: final thoughts? Uh, I feel like Sasha's got this. Okay. But um, I could also really see Shay winning. I think it's between mm-hmm. the two of them. What about you?
0: I think Trinity's up there just as strong. I would be surprised mm-hmm. if it was Shay. No, sorry, I would be surprised if it was Sasha. I'll be honest. Okay, I mean sure. pleasantly surprised, but surprised. Yeah. Um. So, I, for me, I think it's more between uh, Shay and Trinity, and I, I think that okay. um, Trinity has been acquitting herself very well in the Talking Heads. In these yep. last handful of episodes, she's been like, okay, we've done the sisterhood thing. It's been a season of sisterhood. Now it's time, especially with Nina's last couple episodes and, and the, 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 you know, it seemed like, what seemed like, for us to armchair, like, therapist, yeah. what seemed like depression that she was really struggling with. um, Trinity, either the editors or Trinity, in what she was assigned to give the editors, time that very well worth like okay it's time for some bitchiness it's time for some competitiveness it's like yes we've been all yeah. very understanding and kumbaya and holding hands and everything but this is still a competition let's get back into it um so i think that that at least uh whether or not that affects who takes the crown who knows but i do think that the the way that the queens present themselves affects rue's decision um
1: sure.
0: so so we'll see you know if nothing else she's acquitted herself well for all stars
1: yeah, and I think all of them generally, I think any of these four could come back for All-Stars. Yeah. And do a really good job.
0: Yeah, and certainly like see how they've presented themselves, see what works in yeah. and it would be very I think it'd be very interesting to see especially Sasha come back mm-hmm. for another season and see how she plays off of if they have other maybe more experimental even further yeah. out there queens like when she's yeah. the normal one, you know, like She's, that would be fun. She yeah. she's out there compared to these queens, but I don't think she's yeah. out there cuz she's not compared to some of the other queens we've seen on the show. No.
1: Absolutely not. No.
0: So, it'll be interesting no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> well, what wins your week in comedy and reality?
1: Um, let's see. That's a good question. I think I'm going to give it to Angie Tribeca just for the ridiculousness of the reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sheer thing of like this was all really elaborate 17 years in the making. And I I think that that alone and their willingness to do that, I think is pretty solid. So I'll give it to Angie Tribeca's uh, finale. What about you?
0: (sighs) Lord Buckethead. Angie (laughs) Tribeca. Lord Buckethead was funnier than anything else I watched this week, but I I will also give it to Angie Tribeca. A season well-constructed, well-executed, and uh, certainly I I don't need Angie Tribeca every week, but uh, I certainly have enjoyed its whimsy and it's just glorious stupidity and I will uh, miss it while it's gone and be glad when it's back. Um, So now let's take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama.
2: And I feel it running through my veins
0: That fire, just
2: to know that I'm awake. We raised darkness till the break of day. And I need thy fire, just to know that I'm awake.
0: This week in the genre and drama, Noel's gonna talk about a bunch of stuff, and I'm gonna come up with some questions that hopefully will speak to our listeners queries and, and concerns about these shows that they might not have seen yet. Uh, first up is Claws, which had its premiere on, on TNT this week, uh, Tirana. Then there's Orange is the New Black Season 5, which dropped on Netflix. Um, there's American Gods, the penultimate episode there, A Prayer for Mad Sweeney, iZombie, Conspiracy, Weary, and then we'll both, that's right, I have watched at least one thing, we'll both talk the Winona <laughs> Earth premiere uh, of Season 2, Steel Bars and Stone Walls. So first up, Noel... I've seen the first, like, six, seven minutes of Claws, and I kind of love okay. it already. Um, yeah. Is that appropriate? Should I, like, keep my hopes where they are based on the rest of it? Or should I, like, let's tamp down those expectations. It's a bit more, you know, like, the it starts out awesome, but, you know, it's still a show. It still has some work to do. Like, what do you think?
1: I, I think it still has some work to do. But okay. I think that you've got a really good cast here. Yeah, as you saw from just like the first few minutes that you were able to see. And that's not even getting to Uncle Daddy, played by Dean Norris.
0: Well, for um, our listeners who <laughs> have not seen Claws and have not heard of it, yeah. what is it about Noel? And who are these stars that you uh, are already speaking of? Ah, ah.
1: so Claws is um, filmed in New Orleans, but set in Miami, mm-hmm. uh, of course. Um, but we've got a, a, a nail salon uh, headed up by uh, Nisi Nash's uh, Desna who wants to basically open up her own very large salon. Currently, she's, like, running a very small one in a strip mall. And she wants to open up a new one that's much nicer, more legitimate, higher-scale clientele, that kind of a thing. And she's got folks like Carrie Preston uh, playing a woman who just got out of prison uh, but keeps lying about why she was in prison, um, which is fun. Um, you've got Judy Reyes as quiet. Anne, who is their muscle basically when things get out of hand and Judy Reyes, is, I think we can just agree that Judy Reyes is having the best post scrubs career. of <laughs> anyone. Um, cause she's just had really good roles consistently. And I think this is also a really good role for her. And I'm really excited about that. And so they're all part of the salon. There's a couple of other folks and they're, working for uncle daddy's whose real name is clay um played by dean norris and he's like this mafia so di- ex-dixie mafia-esque sounding fellow mm-hmm. from what they've talked about and they've d- been doing money laundering for him for about a year now and uh doesn't was expecting a much larger cut from roller who is uncle daddy's nephew if you follow things but also <laughs> raised him hence uncle daddy Mm -hmm. um which is just so southern and so white trash and i love it um that things get kind of out of hand as one do but she doesn't get the money that she needs to put a basically a bid in for a very nice salon she's had her eye on and so things go from bad to worse because this is still a crime drama and there, but it's all—it's all really compelling, I think. Overall, in part because the show really commits to not veering away from the socioeconomic issues that these women are facing, In from whether it be from Desna just wanting like a minute to herself from her autistic brother, who's played by Harold Perrineau, which is getting into the whole. There are probably one too many things happening in this show. Uh, yeah. Um, which is like the biggest problem with it is that there's just one too many things happening. Um, but her- it's hero paranews, her- 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 so it's actually good. Mm-hmm. But it's also just like I don't know that we needed this particular storytelling avenue right now. But she's in the bathroom. She just wants one minute to herself. She's staring at this very expensive towel that she bought, which is like this one thing of wealth in their house mm-hmm. that she never uses mm-hmm. because it's like the nice. It's like the nicest towel. It's the nice towel. yeah, Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it's just hanging there and she's just staring at it while he's like yelling at her about the leaking leak in the leak in the roof. And it's so good and it's really deep into this idea of how their lives are working basically. And there's some other stuff with Polly with her wearing to a New Year's Eve party the same dress that she wore to Reagan's second inauguration and it still fits. <laughs> to whether or not it's actually true or not it doesn't matter because Mm -hmm. it's just a really good joke Uh, but all of this is just like there's some really good stuff here including like the whole mob boss then the the potential mob rivals of the russian mob which again again there's probably too much happening here Mm -hmm. but i want to see more of it because i really like the aesthetics i really like how the colors pop i like how they don't shy away from the miami-ness of their setting of like the big signs in front of the strip mall that says we sell big shrimp She's mm-hmm. just like this is ridiculous and i really really like this so i encourage you when you have some time to go and check out the rest of the episode and see how you feel about it but i i'm really eager to see more from this i'm very excited to see more from this in fact
0: i also just based on the first few minutes i was also appreciating the use of music and the, the soundtrack yeah though often right that'll be a lot more highlighted in the pilot than it is in the series so mm-hmm. who knows if that'll maintain but um yeah. yeah like you said the aesthetics and the visuals even just in the opening sequence and the the credits and everything is very distinctive and and it and it's just Again, those opening minutes, it's just fun. It's fun. And I like having some not depressing fun. (laughs) At least it looks like it won't be depressing. Who knows? Maybe it will be. I will report back when I've seen more. Um, Well, (laughs) not depressing fun. Let's talk Orange is the New Black. So um, last season ended with a prison riot. And this season is a prison riot, from what I understand. Uh, How much of this season have have you seen, Noel?
1: I've finished all of it. i watched about uh, oh, two or three episodes that's since insane. Friday.
0: That's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I did. I, uh, a friend of mine, my friend in Atlanta, Danielle, and I, uh, like, after we each got off work, we, like, went to our respective couches on other ends of the country. Yeah. And we're just like, okay, start at 120. And we do, like, uh, a couple episodes each day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we just worked our way through it together and sent, like, text messages back and forth while we were watching it. Um, so, yeah, this, ep- this season takes place over the course of, like, four days, which is interesting but also appropriate given that everything's about the riot mm-hmm. that results from... The unfortunate event in season four. Right. <laughs> right, plus one of the COs bringing an actual loaded firearm into this minimum security prison. Mm. And so the confluence of both of these events leads to... Said prison guard getting shot mm-hmm. in the leg, uh, but then an overall riot occurring and the prisoners taking control of the prison. Um, I'll avoid getting to like heavy spoilers since we're not doing like a DVD self first season spotlight on this. And just very generally, I think this is a good season, but I don't, it's a very messy season. Um, In part because the flashbacks are very useless and I was really flummoxed when we were still having them Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because I feel like the shows generally has outgrown the use of flashbacks and even flashbacks for characters that I really like like Tasty, who comes to the forefront in such a huge way this season that if Tasty is your favorite character as she is mine, you're really happy with a lot of the stuff that happens and a lot of the stuff that they give Tasty to do. And she's very much the show's MVP this year, if she hasn't been fairly consistently across its run. But it's definitely this season. And so the flashbacks are kind of iffy. Um, The show's kind of, well, we kind of want you to like these two Nazi skinheads and this white nationalist. (laughs) Uh, Because they're kind of kooky and silly. And I kind of go, they are kooky and silly but there's still two Nazi skinheads and a white nationalist. And I'm not comfortable with you making me think that these two, these three people are okay. And I'm not kind of comfortable with everyone else on the show kind of thinking they're okay. And I'm just kind of like, this is a weird choice that you guys are making. And it's somewhat in service of this idea, this larger idea that as Tasty begins to negotiate with uh, the governor uh, to meet a s- s- series of demands um, that they met to release all the guards. Um, that there's this idea about what you can stick to to benefit everyone or how many people you can benefit and to whom are you trying to get the benefits for? And b- betrayals of factionalism and all of this is like super relevant in terms of like how far can we push a particular movement to do this? to what degree can we do this? Who are we betraying by doing this aspect? But incrementalism, all this sort of stuff is like swirling around in this season, but it never coalesces into much of anything particularly significant, which is troubling in, because you have like these weird detours into again, like tonal things of, well, the the prisoners are going to make the guards do a talent show. And, it's, it's, it's really weird. And wait, it's, wait. it's, I yeah. need you to
0: pause. Sure. They're in the middle of an armed riot. Right. Well, there's only one gun. But, but <laughs> the point remains. They're in the middle of a yeah. riot. They've taken over the prison. Yeah. And we're supposed to believe they're
1: doing a talent show. Yeah. Yeah. They make the guards do a talent show. They do uh, Litchfield Idol. Okay. Yeah. And it's weird, and it doesn't fit with a lot of the stuff that happens, because um, like there's n- somebody yeah. died
0: that they all care about very recently, and that's their response well, in the course of a couple days.
1: Well, it's not the response for uh, Tasty and her group. Like yeah. this is something that is organized by the Latinas and um, uh, the two meth heads. <laughs> okay. Right, so they're separate. Like, everyone's okay. very segregated. So this yeah. is something that happens independent of everyone with Poussey.
0: I'm just saying, and, you understand my eyebrow. Yeah.
1: No, I understand, and I do not disagree with your eyebrow either. But everyone's kind of very separated out, and even some of the inmates, including Piper and Boss, end up just staying in the yard for a good chunk of the season because they don't want anything to do with anything mm-hmm. that's happening. They just want to, like, we're just going to do our time, guys. You guys do whatever you want, but we're going to be over here. Yeah. And so, again, like, this leads to the general kind of messiness and weird sprawl that the show still does. But it it's weird to see the sprawl play out across basically four narrative days. And so while everything's enjoyable, it's still just kind of scattered sometimes, and it never really comes together in a way that I found deeply, deeply satisfying. Because it turns out also that Frida has a bunker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, a lot of stuff comes out this season. But yeah, so it's good. I still really enjoy Orange is the New Black. But I also feel like that this is probably the weakest season I've s- so far for me anyway, which is um, disappointing. I-, I think that's really the best thing I can say is that there's a lot of really good ideas in this season. But the execution of them ends up being kind of disappointing for me. And that's where I ended up. Was this was good, but I'm kind of disappointed in you. Okay, fair enough. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I felt no. I felt utterly. You've been out for a couple seasons now. Yeah. To come back, and I feel, I feel guilty about it a little bit, just because the cast is so terrific, and I, I so uh, love that they are all getting paid to do interesting work, and that the show wants to talk about some stuff. But it's just. Nothing about what I hear makes me want to go back.
1: Sure, sure. And I understand that. And I, I, if that's your general response, then there's nothing that's going to make you go back. Because I feel like the show very much is what it's going to be for the rest of its run. Mm-hmm. It's got like, what, two seasons left? Who knows? Netflix. I, I forget. Like Netflix gave him like a two or, th- two two or, or three, three season three Pick renewal. up, Yeah. Yeah, and I can't remember when that kicked in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to say they're at least they're at least I think they're doing at least two more for sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, God, I hope they're not doing another one because Piper's only got like three months left.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, she's been like it's only been like a year of time, right?
1: Yeah, if that, yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. But yeah, okay. I think it's been a year. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, and. There's still other stuff surrounding it about, like, toxic masculinity, um, mainly through one of the more sadistic COs that resurfaces. And there's a very weird horror send-up episode Mm -hmm. that's just bad. Um, It's, like, outright bad. I was really disappointed and really frustrated by that episode. And also unsettled. But it was just kind of bad. And, yeah, so I don't think there's a... If you've tapped out, there's no reason for you to come back. Okay. So I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel bad about it. Don't feel guilty about this, even though yes, the cast is really good. You shouldn't <laughs> feel guilty about it.
0: Fair enough. Um, one that I will be caught up on for next week. Is American Gods, this, this is the, again, the penultimate episode for them, um, A Prayer from Ed Sweeney, uh, and again, based on the title, I'm guessing we get more with Sweeney and uh, perhaps Laura. This is, I'm curious what you think about this episode and, and how the original versus adaptation elements of the series are working for you right now.
1: Right, so that's a that's a loaded question that I I almost feel like we need to save for okay. like a larger discussion, which we will um, have listeners. At, which once which the we'll have, finishes. yeah. Right, and that's kind of like I'd like to save that for that. Okay, but um because I think that's a lot to discuss with this show. Okay, um, well then to hone back have, in, yeah, to hone back in. House is like, the ep- seven? This episode is very much an adaptation of the story of how Matt Sweeney came to the U.S. Hmm. Like, their their present-day stuff that involves Laura does not involve Shadow or Wednesday at all, Um, which, oh, God, this show's just a mess. (laughs) (laughs) But so we get flashbacks and uh, to Essie, who was the main character in the Matt Sweeney coming to America story in the book. And Essie is played by Emily Browning, who plays Laura. Uh, Ah, okay. Yeah. So it's a doubling up and it's a generally kind of effective doubling up because I think that they've really found someone very special in Emily Browning. um, Who's I think probably the strongest thing of the show for me anyway. And so more of her I'm good with. Um, and so we just kind of jump back and forth between the story of Essie coming to the United States and bringing Matt Sweeney and the whole Irish mythos with her, basically, uh, and a couple of other people, but very Essie, very specifically, and how Matt Sweeney came to be and in the states. And it's it's good. Like I think that this is one of the better episodes. But it speaks to like some of the larger issues of like the Wednesday and Shadow stuff is just really boring and (laughs) not particularly compelling. So whenever we get these little detours into other things that either are expanded from the book in this case or like full scale expanded slash really full scale adapted um, from the book in a way that tells a self-contained story. I think makes for more compelling watching with this show, which is something it's really struggled with is telling a good self contained story in an episode basically. And I think that this is a good self contained episode, even if some of it is still, even if it, because the double casting feels like it's sort of straining to tell a parallel story between Essie and Laura and Sweeney across time, um, which I don't think really works um, as well as they want it to, because it it almost feels sort of like how a lot of like productions of Peter Pan use the same guy who plays Mr. Darling to play hook. And there there's a there's a parallelism to that idea and that concept that's interesting and says something about the material that's in play. There's nothing necessarily like that here. So it's good for just getting more Emily Browning. I thematically, I don't think it adds anything but i think that there's still good stuff in the episode and i like it as just a full on coming to america story which just like, reinforces my idea that i just would like american gods more if it was just coming to uh, coming to america segments and i didn't have to go like oh boy i wonder what shadow and wednesday are doing cuz i don't care <laughs> and are they the drinking only... hot
0: chocolate if no i don't care <laughs>
1: Right. And the only thing related to Wednesday and Shadow we get in this episode is that uh, that Wednesday arranged for and I think this is new to this narrative. I really don't think that this was in the book, is that Wednesday arranged for the car accident that killed Laura and Dane Cook's character, whose name I cannot remember, Mm -hmm. Um, and that he's the one who arranged for that car accident that killed her so that he, Shadow could become his man. And I don't think that's in the books. I want to say it's not, but someone who has read the books multiple times and likes the book could probably tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's new, and that's like the only little tidbit that we get about the Wednesday and Shadow stuff, and, but that's it. So it adds credence to this um, conspiracy theory sort of idea that Wednesday's got something cooking, which we got uh, when the new gods came to play a little bit. But this really kind of gives it a little more oomph, which is good, but meh type of thing. So I think this is an okay episode of American Gods, um, but it's also, like I kind of said with the Laura episode, it's also a very low bar for me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Touche. That sounds familiar to me, the thing about the car accident. With Wednesday. Yeah, but I feel like if that is in the books, it's very late in the yeah, book
1: and that's that's entirely true
0: so it yeah. certainly doesn't isn't revealed at this the point where they are in the narrative that is yeah. not known because i've read that part of the book and that was not in yeah. the part that i read um but i want to say i read that in a wikipedia article or something
1: okay, um, okay. but
0: I, I, I could be wrong listeners let us know you know yeah we'd love to hear about how we're
1: wrong <laughs> uh, i i certainly do
0: yeah um next up is i zombie and we have conspiracy weary which Again, is high on my watch list. Once I've finished *Claws*, like once I've watched finales and premieres, I will watch *I Zombie*. <laughs> but uh, if only because I need to see what happened with the the Romero zombie, Liz, live and uh, Blaine. But did this yeah. pay off that buildup?
1: It did. There's a really solid um, action set piece at the start, mm-hmm. and it's very exciting and it's really well staged. But it also ends with. Blaine, Donnie, and Liv sharing a brain. And Blaine is just like, We should make this a weekly thing. I like this. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, this is so good. Um, um, a lot of this episode is devoted to I think setting up like a lot of endgame stuff. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense is we've got like two episodes left on the season, which yeah. feels crazy. Yeah. Um, but we've got two episodes left. Basically in this this episode, like a lot of cats get out of the bag. Um this, this week, in part because, well, Major and Ravi can't stop thinking with their penises, Kate. <laughs> I'm so shocked. <laughs> shocked I am. Right. So we find out that Shauna is kind of, um, well, hey, surprise, not exactly on the super up and up. Really? I really? am shocked that
0: someone who sounds right. somebody who's known, air quotes, to be a serial killer, a fan mail, wouldn't be on the up and up.
1: Right. Well, her whole thing is, like, she's going to use her sh- social media presence to rebuild his image. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, that's that's not weird at all. And yeah. All of it goes on to her Tumblr, also not weird. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so it, it's just very awkward. And then uh, Rachel, one of the zombie truthers, mm-hmm. um, Robbie shares too much information with her. And, hey, guess what? She's a reporter for one of the alt-weeklies. <sighs> I remember, <sighs> yeah, yeah, so of course, the episode ends with a big cliffhanger of Ravi seeing a photo of a Romero live on the cover of The Alt Weekly declaring that zombies are real,: yeah. Yeah. Um, so everything's out of the bag, but it's out of the bag in like really ridiculous, out kind of semi out of character ways. Mm-hmm. Particularly for Ravi, who I'm again, really glad he was in the field. But his decision to open up to this woman that he barely knows makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I understand that he's like in a weird emotional place because of Peyton and Blaine. But but No. <laughs> but no No. That he would reveal all this to a woman he barely knows after like three seasons of keeping the secret from Clive? Yeah. No. Nope. No, so it 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 feels really manufactured in a way to push like the whole Fillmore Grace thing and the the Discovery Day plot forward, and so it's a good episode, but a lot of it is falls victim to larger things of um, just the kind of weird plotting that this season has had. Yeah, and I think that that's more than anything. Kind of, it's good, but it's also just representative of larger issues that the show's had this yeah. season so
0: well i'm still yeah. looking forward to this one for the opening action set piece at least you
1: should yeah and and you know there's some shortless robert buckley and who does not like that the the, the last two episodes are looking
0: for mr Goodbrain, part one and two so uh okay. that should be fun they know how to do a two-part finale over there on iZombie, zombie so they, that is true yeah yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, from almost finales to premieres, Winona Earp came back for season two. Of course, we were big fans of season one here at the Televerse. What did you think of steel bars and stone walls? And to start, were you as disappointed as I was about what they didn't do with Waverly? <sighs>
1: <laughs> Well, I was almost going to say, Kate, I just talked for like 10 minutes. Why don't you say something? <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. I, that's fine. It's Touche. Touche. Um, so <laughs> last year, like when we finished season one and, we, and, and and Waverly gets all like possessed or whatever at the very end and then turns around and shoots, we had talked about with friend of the show, Elizabeth Bridges, who came back on to talk about season one, how how like exhausted and bummed we were about just at the, at the notion of secretly evil Waverly right after secretly evil Willow. And like, to be like, Oh, they're doing this again. Like we've all seen this kind of arc in different genre shows. And then to have her immediately turn around and shoot it seemingly at our, our heroes and at Winona was like, Oh, they're going to do this instead. Oh, that's so much more fun. That's so much more interesting. And then, we start the premiere. I had to like go back and start it again because I was like, wait, yep. did I miss something? What is, I why is? the same is... thing. <laughs> and it's like, oh no, they're just saying, oh, she shot another bad thing that we hadn't seen. It was a fake. out. Like they're doing exactly what we were hoping they weren't going to do for the entire hiatus. And I'm sort of exhausted by it though. And I don't like, in, I know that they've been very active in their outreach in the queer community, the, the the creator and the, the actors and the, the, the producers and everything in one herb. That doesn't make it okay to me, at least. Which, again, straight cis girl here, so your mileage may vary. It doesn't make it okay for me, for, as far as I'm concerned, for them to do the, the fake-out of Barrier Gaze, where, like, with Waverly, like, faking out that she's about to chop off uh Officer Hot's like, head or something. Like... I still, oh man, I was so frustrated by a certain elements. I mean, like so much of what we like about Winner Up* is still here, and obviously, I'm looking forward to watching the season. But I was, I like, I don't think it's cute, show. I don't think it's cute.
1: Yeah, I was. I did the same thing you did with having to rewind and go. Like, did I? Did my? Did my? Um, recording. this just skip a scene. No, there was a whole. There was a whole promo for *Blood Drive*. I didn't miss anything and so that's that's a little weird i was expecting some follow through on that mm-hmm. and then it's just like no you're you're fine she's just she's still possessed and i just went oh but but no i'm totally with you in that i was just went this is this is i i, I just kind of wanted them to deal with this very quickly and now mm-hmm. we're going to have like a whole at least a half season probably mm-hmm. um of them of something wearing i guess waverly maybe or in like growing inside in of her, partial, and, right? Is it or evil partial control? Or is it not? Is it right, like
0: because like the demon?
1: Her... Yeah, yeah. Because like the demon very much responds to her in raccoon eye mode, mm-hmm. <laughs> and is like, "Oh, you're something much more dangerous than me. I'm going to go back in my cage and close the door behind me. Don't bother me, please, ma'am." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like. Well, I don't know who's in control right now, if Waverly knows what's going on, or if something's wearing Ma- Waverly as a meat suit, mm-hmm. and just playing along. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know what's happening, and uh, that's the point, I understand, but it's also just kind of like, but I, I, I don't want this to be the thing that I don't know about, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah, and so I was I I was disappointed with that as much as I enjoyed like Waverly's really bad British accent and pretending to be from Scotland Yard, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that was all very good. And her whole break in, so there's like you said, there's all the elements of Winona Earp still here from that kind of stuff to. Well, you should see should you should see how good I am when I'm naked mm-hmm. and just like this kind of really good sort of patter stuff that the show's very good at and juxtaposed against this whole lingering cloud of like oh <laughs> <laughs> is the best way I can describe my reaction to it um as much as I enjoy generally everything else that happened in this premiere,
0: yeah, I still very much enjoy uh uh doc. Dark- Holiday, I still very much don't care about dolls and don't feel any chemistry with Winona and dolls. Um I know some people do. I'm not trying to yuck your yum. Um but yeah, it just I didn't think like that scene with the key and everything wasn't compelling to me. How did how did the key even reflect
1: that light that far? And I just like doesn't matter. I, I, I really struggled with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was just me being really picky. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um well, but uh, yeah. did you so, yeah, did
1: you also appreciate that we just still don't have a explanation for what a one carlos is <laughs> to the point where it's just like what's a Juan carlos we're just going to ignore that question <laughs> and it's just like no but guys you no. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I will say i did like the stuff we got with um nicole i like her immediately knowing something's off with waverly and mm-hmm. just something seems different and she's not sure what's up. I-, I like that. And her trusting her gut on that. I like that they seem to be developing some some, some doubts in herself. And it, like, I like that they're immediately hinting towards at least greater characterization and depth for her, which I think is something the show could really use. Um, as as much of a high point of season one as she was, you know there there's it's a lot riding on the the actor's charisma so far and like a few right. little character beats here and there. So um, I'm I'm glad that they are so obviously building to something with her. Um, and just again, I, a lot of why I watch the show is for the goofs and for even just the location shooting. To like, it's so nice to see the camera pull way back and Winona's like trudging through the snow and like. There aren't other shows doing that, certainly on right. the sci-fi, you know, and certainly not in the genre realm. You're not getting these long, you know, these long shots uh, of the sur- of, of the surrounding areas and these vistas. So it really does help establish the, the the feel of the show and the tone and the place and the western aesthetic and everything. So, yeah, I, I think it's been, I, I think it's a, it's a it's again like we said,
1: all the stuff that I like about Winona Earp, and then a couple little red flags. Yeah. And I mean, like how much like how much of a leash, I guess, are you giving these red flags? Oh, well, I mean, it's the old.
0: Oh, we're doing this. OK, I know what <laughs> that means in genre. Yeah. Like I like I speak the shorthand for that because, you know, both of us have spent a lot of time in the genre world in our viewing sure. lives. So like we know what that means. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's going to be a how well do you execute this thing that you're doing?
1: So we'll see. They did well in season one. That's kind of how I feel, is like it's just like everyone's been deputized into black badge. Including random tech guy who we didn't have last season. Now <laughs> we apparently are saddled with this season. Yeah. Um, to which I promptly went Okay, sure.
0: Makes no sense for you to to be here, but fine, you gave up your entire career and endangered your life. Yeah. Because, you know, Waverly's hot, especially with her also,
1: glasses. Also, weren't you already working for Black Badge, dude? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. So we've got the shadow government agency coming, or extra, extra government agency coming to the forefront, which I just go, oh, God, not a Riley situation. A Riley situation. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I'm sort of in the same boat of, like, uh, let's see how well you do this sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. And I have confidence in your ability to do everything else. But after, like, one season where your season-long arc was pretty, like, self-contained in a lot of ways to... We've got a bunch of monsters to deal with. This is a big escalation, I think, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't doubt, like, Andrus's ability to craft a narrative around it. I just wonder if it was too much too soon, but we'll find out very quickly, I think.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Now I ask you the question that has already answered for me based on the dearth of my viewing. Uh, what wins your week in genre and drama, Noel?
1: Uh, I'll give it to the class premiere. I thought it was pretty good. And I'm eager for more, like I said. Um, so what won your week? Was it the few minutes of class that you got to watch? Or was it Winona Earp?
0: <laughs> of course it was Winona Earp. Um,
1: like, yes, I liked the first six minutes of Clause,
0: but I liked the entirety of the Winona Earp mm-hmm. premiere uh, quite a bit more. So, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens um, when I get caught up in everything and I can actually have it be a competition for the week <laughs> in, in genre drama for me. But uh, for now, let's take a break, and we'll come back with our spotlight on Hell on Earth, The Fall of Syria, and The Rise of ISIS. We'll be right back after this.
1: When a society collapses into anarchy and violence... ...civilians
0: inevitably take matters into their own hands. Syria became a civil war in response to the violence of the government. In that kind of environment... Radical ideologies are almost guaranteed to take hold.
1: ISIS is a creation of Bashar al-Assad. In Syria, the choice is either him or ISIS. This is what terrorists do. They instill fear in societies.
0: This week we wanted to spotlight uh, a documentary that's aired on National Geographic, which is a channel that we rarely rarely ever talk about. Um, It's called Hell on Earth, The Fall of Syria, and The Rise of ISIS. And I will tell you, Noel, the list of things that I wanted to watch this week, oh, goody, I'm super behind. I have, like, all the shows to catch up on. I can't wait to sit down for a two-hour documentary about ISIS. This won't be depressing at all. It's called Hell on Earth. But I gotta say, within the first, like, five minutes, I was completely engrossed (laughs) in what I was watching. Um, I can't speak to veracity and i can't speak to slant or perspective or anything because i just don't know facts about the rise of isis outside of this documentary and a couple other things that i've read or seen other other places i will say though um i thought this was i thought it was really good i thought it was really effective and i'm very glad that i that i watched it
1: yeah no it's very good and i we can talk about slant a little bit um because and how they sort of skirt around that idea a little bit mm-hmm. while still making some very particular strong points um a little bit later because I've have, I have I have feelings and thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Um but this is very good overall, I think, in terms of giving you giving audiences who may not necessarily be familiar with particularly like the start of the Syrian Civil War in particular because they do a very they do this documentary does a very solid job of laying out the start of that and how that in part contributed to ISIS, um, ISIS is <laughs> um, uh, uh, the growing strength within the region. And so I really appreciated how all of that came about even. And like, for me, a lot of it was like, I know this part, I don't know this part, or mm-hmm. I knew a little bit about this, but I didn't know anything about this. And so it was nice to have, like, some gaps filled in for me. And so I, I really appreciated, like, the uh, just amount of information that was provided. But how that information was balanced against a very strong, focused personal story done through, basically, like, cell phone footage. And, like, handheld video camera uh, footage from this one family who's basically has left Aleppo and is... Trying to get out of, trying to get out of the region to Greece, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, th- all of that balanced to make a really solid look at larger macro level sort of things, but also just a personal element of how all of this is playing out. And I thought that Sebastian Younger and Nick Quested, um, who uh, wrote, directed, produced this. Um, and they've done a couple of other documentaries um, dealing with the Middle East, uh, ha- or rather uh, with Afghanistan in particular. Um, they cracked something really good here, I think, and it's well worth digging into and also watching if you can set aside like an hour and a half to be kind of depressed. Because uh, I merely went, well, I'm gonna after after I watched this, I went, well, I'm gonna watch some nuns go crazy. As I watched Black Narcissus immediately after watching this. And let me tell you, in a day when Black Narcissus is not the most depressing thing that you watch, Mm -hmm. um, that's saying something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I thought that the balance of Talking Heads with the the footage was, uh, on the whole, really well done. I will say it's super weird to see Michael Flynn show up as a... As a expert, uh, you note know, they had to. I think at, I'm guessing at the time that they recorded this, he was Trump's advisor, and then they had to tag the former National Security right. Advisor to Trump, yeah, on there. Um, but at, at least he was vaguely
1: lucid in these interviews. In
0: these so- interviews, <laughs> that is that is true. Um, but I, I thought, in general, there was a, it seemed like a good balance of um, history and and internal versus external perspectives. I will say that I don't, I struggled with some of the video footage of the beheadings and the killings uh, that was included. I very much appreciated them cutting to black and not showing those deaths on screen. I still had, I think, but I think that was the point. I think that was the intention. How did that work for you? Was that, did you think it was important to have that in there? Do you think that that was unnecessary? What did you think?
1: Well, I think it's important to have that in there, um, in part because I, I feel like for all this documentary's discussion of propaganda, mm-hmm. which is a large part of why ISIS has been so very successful, as they point out, mm-hmm. um, that this is also, in and of itself a piece of propaganda. Um, mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I mean, we can talk about how basically everything you and I discuss each week, is part of an ideological apparatus that perpetuates certain ideological ideas and concepts. And that's all like, I mean, we can get very Frankfurt school in here very quickly, but we're not going to. But Mm -hmm. this is still very much a sort of propaganda in in a certain way of like, this is how this is all played out. And then this is why in no small part, they're going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. and i i think that there's a degree of even to the, like this point of like these are these are not these are people who have a very different sort of ideology very different sort of perspective and we need to make sure that you're aware of this and but also that these are people who are very different from this family that's trying to get away these these are not the norm type of folks of yeah. uh, who follow islam and so I think showing these kind these acts of violence, but cutting to black uh, just uh, just beforehand uh, demonstrates that, is like drives that home in this idea of a, not an isolated incident, but a, this is one person responding to a very perverted view of this religion. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what they're trying to convey with that is like driving that idea home, even and just posing it against like, their whole criminal army type of approach that they are very quick to draw very heavily on this idea of ISIS is basically just a massive criminal organization, which is something I'd seen elsewhere and had also had confirmed by a few folks who are like much, much more involved, had been previously a little more involved with this on like a government military side. And they're just like, yeah, they're just a bunch of criminal thugs. Mm-hmm. And so all of that, like, there's a painting of ISIS and the painting of the people who follow them in a way that I think is effective. And then they juxtapose it with, again, like this family that I was talking about to make clear that this is not the norm. And I, I think that's really significant. And I think the execution videos really drive that home.
0: Yeah. And and it also, I mean, having that that very personal connection with that family waiting as they're where they where they're at is being bombed and then seeing the kids in the playground is that's some powerful tv there or film or whatever you want to call it (laughs) um when they get to just be on a slide you know and um certainly very effective for an american audience that is very used to seeing kids run around a playground right not and takes it so very for granted um so I, I, I did think that all, that was all very effective. Now, wh- let's talk a little bit about the um, the slant and like. It, do you think it's possible to make a documentary about this topic without having a distinct perspective? And we could even open this out to the conversation of, well, you haven't seen The Keepers yet, but certainly right. something like, um, have you seen Making a Murderer? No. No. Okay. Well, that I think mm-hmm. you could compare the the perspectives. Of those two documentaries as well, crime documentaries, of course. In the one, there, <laughs> basically, it's known as a fact what happened, um, sure. at least to some of the the victims and the keepers, um, and some some of the survivors and not survivors, um, and the and then the rest is trying to puzzle what happened. Whereas in um, Making a Murderer, the documentar- documentarians very strongly are like this is what we think. And now we're going to present uh, our case for what we think to you and we'll exclude things that we don't think are relevant that other people might like. So there's a very distinct angle on that one that doesn't feel as present in the keepers. Um, What do you think it's possible to make a documentary about ISIS and the Syrian civil war and this conflict without having that?
1: Well, I don't think that there's a way to make a documentary like that. I think For me, like, every documentary has um, a perspective that it's trying to tell. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's either achieved through the information presented or it's achieved through editing. Yeah. Or the presentation of that information. Mm -hmm. And so I I feel like the idea of a objective documentary is something that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, So to this thing is... One of the things that is really fascinating about this particular documentary is that Younger and Quested are not present mm-hmm. for any of this sort of stuff. Like they're using uh, cell phone footage that's been taken from people who are actually involved in attacks or were there when the attacks happen, or they're using news footage from regional areas or from also like Western news sources. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're very much cobbling together a narrative here. And through, because of the fact that they just don't, they can't get access to go into Syrian film. So they had to rely on a lot of like secondhand stuff to build something together. And they do so very effectively here. But again, I think that there's a very strong point, especially when they shift into discussing uh the gulf the second gulf war Mm -hmm. and that compounded with the um obama's red line of crossing chemical weapons type thing there's there's very clear pushes being made not only from the talking heads that they talk to regarding so what's the difference between a chemical weapon and a barrel bomb, people still end up dead. So we're not quite seeing what your issue is with either of these things, but why this is more important than this mm-hmm. as a deciding factor is is a point a talking head makes. But I think it's also a point that the fact that they don't offer a counter-argument yeah. to that as to why the the chemical weapon is a tipping point is a very clear sign of what where they feel their argument is. Yeah. And I think that that's where they come down is like they they don't point like a finger at but they're just because they don't point a finger at necessarily anyone. But it's just like this is a very large problem with the number of actors mm-hmm. who have participated in it and contributed to it all, all the way down to the fact that their explanation for why there's so many different factions fighting the Syrian civil war is that there's suddenly this weird uh, economic investor of funds to buy weapons. And everyone gets a militia, you get a militia, and you get a militia (laughs) to do all of this stuff. So, I think Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's really necessarily possible to do this in part because I just kind of reject the idea of an objective documentary. But I think that Hell on Earth is making a pretty clear point about certain things that contributed to this,
0: yeah. I agree. And, um, it thought it was, um, and and you see that also, just in who is included in your talking heads, because, and right as you you know, say with editing, that's so much of what we see. So who do you call to come talk to the cameras and, and who, how much do you include of the various, you know, factions and everything. And, um, I thought, I thought what I, I I think what I saw was pretty balanced as far as, um, not trying to make it a simple answer. And I think that's, that's that's the best I can ask of a documentary like this or or to not when it's not something that's black and white when it, there sometimes some things I think are I think some things are very simple and we want to say there's always two sides there's not always two sides to a story as far as I'm concerned not two accurate truthful equally important balanced weighted sides but um I always appreciate when you know documentaries especially but any sort of reporting or or or, or narrative is appropriately understanding and respectful of how complicated a situation is. Um, and I think that they do a pretty good job with that here, um, without being overly deferential. And, you know, I, I think as far as I'm concerned, like I keep, I guess, repeating myself. I do think it, it, it feels well constructed and put together. And, um, appropriately uh, thought-provoking and um, certainly it's 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 trying to prompt you into action as a viewer of uh, things that you can do to help and understanding the situation and under, respecting how significant it is and how important it is um, without telling you exactly what to think and what to do.
1: Right, and I think I think that this is one of those documentaries and particularly that avoids a overt call to art yeah and uh as instead goes for a more subtle sort of approach uh with it by their explanation of uh refugees and immigrants and this their call to arms is basically we're all human beings goddamn <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. like that the longer we allow this to continue from just from a political standpoint the more that these people get displaced and This is one of those weird things where I just kind of go, why did you talk to Michael Flynn? Yeah. Because it's just like, he's just like, these are people who don't want to be here, but they would very much like to go back home, which is none of us are disputing that these are people who would would very much like to go back home if they could. But Michael, that is not your argument in any (laughs) other (laughs) venue is like, uh, you're just very much like these people are a threat and we have problems with that. And blah 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 blah.
0: Especially when he starts <laughs> talking about immigration and the way that's entered into po- politics and is like a dangerous thing that's been over, like the xenophobia that's been hyped up around immigration. Right. I'm like Michael, went, Michael Flynn, <laughs> you have the gall to say that there's too too much rhetoric around dangerous <laughs> immigrants. Yeah, you do. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. Anyways, uh, that was like, yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting little yep. bit of talking head for them to include, but um, exactly.
1: I was just like, why did you guys talk to Michael Flynn? Yeah, but I also, but to, but to that point, I also appreciated the fact that either very few were willing to talk to them, mm-hmm. or they just didn't ask anyone else. But more yeah. than likely, it was just like no one wants to talk to us from an American policy side, aside from a few folks who are retired mm-hmm. and, and John outside McCain. of things. Yeah, and John McCain, who also let's just. Uh, Whatever. Yeah. Uh, a conversation for so another time. <laughs> a conversation for another time. But they were able to talk to Petraeus and a couple of other former folks with high-level um, security clearances from previous administrations. But that's, like, the extent of it. It's mostly uh, focused on a number of European journalists and uh, also uh, journalists who specialize in the region or who actually work in the region that probably, in no small part, helped them get the footage that they had. Yeah. And that is frankly more s- useful and interesting and significant to me than having an American talking head go like, "Well, this is why we just couldn't do anything." and it's just like, we know why you couldn't do anything
2: mm-hmm. And
1: I appreciate that the document that uh the filmmakers don't make any overt discussion of as to why they still don't do anything mm-hmm. and to why we still haven't done anything either from the Obama administration or from the Trump administration. And the basic just gist of it is it's just like mm, 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 weird interest, balance of powers that we don't want to mess with in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And but the documentary doesn't make that overt. And I kind of appreciate that perspective because they're just like, this is a much larger problem than just one particular geopolitical power going. Because eh. mm-hmm. it's a number of geopolitical powers going. Eh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I, I've, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to ask if you had any final thoughts, or, or does this make you interested in the other documentaries that National Geographic will be airing?
1: Well, it definitely makes me um, interested to go watch um, Youngers and Quested's other documentaries that I hadn't haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've done Restrepo and the Last Patrol um and a couple of other ones but those i think are the two big ones that they've done and i'm probably going to seek those out pretty soon because i really liked this a great deal um but as for other national geographic things i will probably speak uh seek those out like we said at the top this is this i don't know how much of a departure this is for them mm-hmm. um because i haven't like kept up with what their film unit does I, also i haven't kept up with what the television unit has done um, in part because I'm not a huge nature documentary person. Um, but this sort of, like, sort of, in my mind, sort of, like, frontline esque reporting I think is interesting to see National Geographic financing a film that does this kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'll probably be a little bit more aware of what they do uh, going forward. What about you?
0: Um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, uh, like, Restrepo is certainly one that I've I remember hearing about that when it came out, and, sound, and from all accounts, it's an amazing documentary. So that's certainly one to add to the list to make to try to make time for. Um, as for National Geographic, are they the ones doing Genius? Thing?
1: Yes, that that is one. Of, that's like their big scripted original program right now. Yeah, it's almost done. I think.
0: Yeah, it's almost done with this one. My dad has been really enjoying that, which uh-huh. is the extent of my knowledge of it.
1: Yeah, um, I just know Jeffrey Rush plays Einstein, and that's it. And also, let's just take a moment to go, I didn't say Eisenstein, as in the Russian, Russian filmmaker, because I've been Congratulations. constantly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a small thing. Anyway, mm-hmm. continue.
0: Um, so uh, this doesn't make me particularly curious about Genius, but it does put them more on my radar, like you had said, for other things that will be coming out. So I'm more likely to tune in for other documentaries that they may uh, pick up um, and decide to air, certainly in the future. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the podcast you can find a post of this episode up at the televerse.org which is the website for the podcast you can leave a comment there let us know what you thought of the week's TV and let us know what, uh, what you have to say about some of these finales and premieres um, you can also email us the at gmail.com we love hearing from you guys you can find us in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed uh, you can leave us a rating review in iTunes or you can leave us a rating and review in Stitcher where you can find the M4A version of the show as well and then we are both uh, we're on Facebook, where you can like the page and start up a conversation. And then we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse and Noel, you are
1: at Noel R K.
0: And for the next two weeks, you can find me reviewing Beep over at uh, over at the AV Club. And then I'll have to come up with something else to write about. We'll see what comes up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thank you, Noel, as ever, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Teliverse.